Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of Believe in Saints is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Welcome to the week three edition of Believe in Saints. I am your host, David Grobe, alongside Terrence Copper. And we got a lot to talk about as the Saints go into this very important divisional matchup with the Carolina Panthers this weekend. But first, TC, we got to go back to last week's game against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where everything that could go wrong did go wrong pretty much for the New Orleans Saints. Um, going into that fourth quarter, the game's tight. Saints have an opportunity to take the lead, fumble the ball, and then in, get out, end up getting outscored in the fourth, 17-7. to seven. Uh, Interceptions came into play. Jameis played probably his worst game as a New Orleans Saint. But there were a lot of things to go around. Um, just what were your overall thoughts about that game as you watched it? Um, it, it just a disappointing performance. My overall thoughts on it was the first drive of the game probably was the best drive. You know, honestly, we go down and kick a field goal uh, and get three points. But, man, I just feel like – I feel like we took a step back. That's what I felt like. I felt like we took a step back. We give up five sacks. You give up – you have five turnovers, three interceptions, two fumbles. There is – I don't care who you playing. Two fumbles lost. I mean, right. they fumbled it four times. They only lost two of them. Lost two of them. Yeah, you know, so – and I don't care who you are. You got – you have five turnovers. You get sacked five times. You can play a community college, and you probably can get beat because you just can't turn it over that many times, man, and take that many sacks. So, it's just – I feel like we took a step back. I feel like defensively, you know, it was a defensive game the entire time, you know, but when you constantly put your defense in bad situations, you know, it's – is, is the recipe for disaster. I think there's a lot to go around. And um, let's start with the offensive line again. Um, I think, you know, you saw when the grades came out, Ryan Ramchick, below average performance. Uh, Andrews Pete below average performance. Uh, James Hurst had a basic average performance. But uh, again, uh, uh, right in the middle of it all, again, um, you know, Cesar Ruiz. His, I think his rating was down somewhere in the 50s amongst offensive linemen last week. And that just can't happen. Um, no. And you saw it again. Yeah, we could talk, we'll talk about Jameis in a second. But the line itself did not do a great job of allowing time for receivers to get separation. Jameis took some hits. And you can't allow your quarterback to take the kind of hits, especially knowing, and we'll get into his injury too, but just knowing that Jameis was banged up with his back in particular. Um mm-hmm. This line play has got to get more consistent. We know they don't have the all pros that they've had in the past, mm-hmm. but you've got to be better than this. Uh, you have to. Uh, there's nowhere around it. Uh, it may have to get to the point where we have to start max protecting on everything, leave everybody in the block, you know? And so, but this is the second week that I feel like our line has been kind of subpar, especially uh, 
the first half of the first game we played the Falcons. Uh, so I want to say in two weeks, we've given up about nine sacks, you know, in two weeks. That's a lot of sacks in two weeks. You know, so the line definitely have to get better. There's there's nothing else we're going to do if that line keeps continues to perform the way we performed. Uh, now, do I have hopes that and I have uh, confidence that we can turn it around? I do have confidence. Early in the season, uh, we played, you know, the Bucks. they got a great defensive line. Uh, the Bucks are a good team. Don't get me wrong, but we should have beat them. We should have beat them. Uh, but I do have confidence that we're going to turn it around. But it's going to take some work. It's going to take some film study. And it's going to take the offensive line getting back to the basics and just understanding their responsibilities, going back to footwork stuff, just real basic type blocking to get everything back together and, and communicating with each other and understanding each other. Uh, because at the end of the day, if they're not working together, they're working against each other. So uh, that's going to be big. Let's look at Jameis. And first, before we get into his actual performance, let's talk about the injury. Four fractures in his back. Now, the doctors say that it's not something that could damage his spine and is, is, is you know, in that regard. Uh, the, the where the fractures are are not, you know, motion damaging. But that's mm-hmm. pain. That's pain no matter what. Your back, we know the areas, the biggest areas concerned for any athlete are your back, your knees, your feet, and your ankles. When those right. hurt, you are fundamentally messed up. Something is going right. to bother you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. For a quarterback to have to stand in his posture, we saw Jameis, we saw the passes when he went deep. They were either way too far or they were coming up short. And mm-hmm. I think that has to do with his mechanics can't be consistent right now because of his back. And I think that there's still in this adjustment period between him and Pete Carmichael. You're trying to find plays, but now you also have to account for Jameis's back in all of this. So where you may have a matchup that you want to exploit, can he get the ball there right now? Can you protect long enough for him to set up and feel comfortable and make a throw? And are there better plays and better situations to get him into while he's injured that might help this offense? You know what? I think with this back issue, like I said, when I had back spasms in my low back, I can't move. I can't stand up straight. When I am moving, I'm walking hunched over. So I kind of understand. I put this. I don't understand because I ain't never had those type of injuries in my back. I just had spasms. So just the fact that he's even out there and still giving it everything he has shows you the type of competitor he is, shows you the type of leader he is, that he wants to be out there with his team, uh, regardless how he's feeling. But I feel I really feel like he still give us the best chance to win games at the quarterback position, regardless if he's hurt or not. Just the fact he's out there, we know his potential. Uh, but we, like you said, when it comes to the overthrowing balls and underthrowing balls, especially when you have a back injury and you overthrowing balls, is you feel you thinking that you have to put more on it because you don't feel strong enough to get it out there. So that's why you're gonna overthrow stuff. And then certain balls where maybe routine balls can be kind of underthrown because you feel like, oh, I can get it there, but you're not putting a pop on it. But it's all because of his back. Uh, so we got to figure some things out. I think that, like I mentioned earlier, we got to go max protection. They're trying to block, they try to uh, help protect him and only have maybe about two receivers out in the route. That's it. Uh, until we can get things ironed out and, and be able to open up the playbook a little bit more. Um, you look at the interceptions. Uh, for Jameis. And of course, you know, Tampa folks start running out and be like, well, welcome to the Jameis Winston experience. This is how it is. And Devin White running his mouth and talking about, well, I was here when he threw 30 picks. Well, I was also watching that same year, Devin, while you would air the defense was ranked in the 20-somethings 
And he was having to throw a lot of passes because y'all was giving up a lot of points too. So, right. I mean, I, you know, I think situations, I don't think you can take this game and say, this is Jameis, this is what you get. I think there are circumstances that create three interception games. And there were certainly circumstances in this one. He made some bad throws. He made some bad throws. But again, mm-hmm. you take the whole thing into it, the opponent, the situation you're behind, you start pressing, those types of things happen. Um, and I think that that's, again, it's a learning experience for this whole team because this is the first kind of situation where they were really in that with Jameis. You know, you mm-hmm. can say it was similar with the Falcons last week, but it wasn't. It wasn't in that regard because you weren't playing against the Buccaneers. You right. know, you have Tom Brady on the other side. So getting points, that pressure, is really there because you figure they're going to score at some point. Brady's going to get something, which he did eventually because you gave him some short fields. But I think that that pressure, the circumstances, I don't think this is indicative of the decision-making that Jameis has because it wasn't really bad decision-making. There were some bad throws, but -hmm. I don't think overall he was making bad decisions. And, And that is the exact way that if I'm him, you have to look at it that way and not go into a hole feeling like, oh, Lord, here I go again. You know, so he had to look at it that way as well. I'm quite sure that's the way he's looking at it, looking at the other details of it, who we're playing. Like you said, it wasn't uh, bad decisions, just bad throws. But on the flip side of all that, because he has a history of throwing interceptions, he's going to get that that criticism that here we go again, Jameis Winston. And it didn't even have to be a three-interception game. It could have been a two-interception game. And – the same stuff would, would have came up. The same criticism would have came up because he has that M.O. of throwing 30 interceptions. So anytime he throw a pick, that criticism is going to creep up. You know, so that's something he just has to get used to and understand that it's always going to be there because that is a product of your past. So it's always going to be there. But that doesn't mean that he can hit. He can allow that to overcome him mentally. Because that's where it's at mentally. Mentally, you got to be able to overcome those hurdles. You have to understand that this is just a one incident thing. This is not a whole season. And he can turn it around. So, I mean, I'm still excited about the season. Uh, I just think we have some stuff to work on offensively. Uh, And it starts with the offensive line because if they're not working, we're not working. And do you still think Pete Carmichael is is settling in? Because these are the first two games, really, he's had to call on his own. Um, in the Sean Payton era. I mean, he got to do a little bit of it when Sean was suspended, but it was different still. Then, I mean, it's just, I think this is, it. it, you know, again, that rapport between a quarterback, the offensive coordinator, and the head coach, it's not something that gets built overnight either. And this is a new situation for three people, and they're all Mm -hmm. going through this together. And I think that, you know, certainly there are going to be speed bumps along the way that, that make this journey a little bit more difficult. And, and with all the other things that are going around, like you said, the, the offensive line being a factor in this, not having having Alvin Kamara, though it wasn't as big a deal like as the Bucks as, as you might think, but certainly you don't know what kind of play because Alvin's made big plays against the Bucks, so you don't mm-hmm. know what you were missing there. There might have been a forty yard screen that was available with Alvin Kamara that wasn't there with him sitting on the sidelines. So I mean, I, I think that the second time they play the Bucks, it'll be different. But you took the L. And it has been part of this trend lately of the Saints not doing particularly well at the Superdome, which has been a little mm-hmm. bit of a surprise that they were two and six in their last eight games at the Dome. Mm-hmm. They got to turn that around, too. Uh, and, and like you say, you, you brought up a good point, uh, Kamara, the fact that he wasn't playing. It, at the end of the day, when you lose 
one of your best players on the team, it's going to show. I don't care who you got to step in to replace him. They're still not Alvin. They're still not him. They still can't make those plays that he can make. And so you lose that weapon as well. And as a play caller, that hurts also because certain things he can do, your other backs can't do, even though they may be sufficient at, at running the ball. But Alvin is just a totally different running back, and he brings so much more to the table uh, with his at, with his diversity and different things that he can do well. So as a play caller, that's going to limit you also. Uh, and then we go back to the offensive line. I know we keep hitting the offensive line, but – if your offensive line is not holding up and Winston's not getting enough time as a play caller, now you got to make even more adjustments because you, he don't have the time to make certain throws that you want to, that you want to play or that you want to call. Uh, so everything goes back. And I know it sounds cliche and I, but I'm not blaming the offensive line by their self. Cause it's a lot of, a lot of blame to go around offensively and defensively, but it starts up front offensively and defensively. If you got a strong defensive line, guess what? More than likely your defense is going to be pretty good. If you got a strong offensive line, guess what? More than likely your offense your offense is going to be pretty good. You know, so but when you, when your offensive line is playing very erratic right now uh, and inconsistent, it's going to be tough to get things going. I mean, you know, you'll see it. They'll go two really good plays of offensive line play and then in a critical situation, somebody blows the block. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and it, it, it it doesn't show in the stats as at the end of the game how many and situationally when those bad snaps occur. That's something you got to watch on the film. And that's what mm-hmm. the coaches do and break down each individual play. But when that breakdown comes on third and three, or when that breakdown comes in a passing situation, or you pick up a penalty, you know, you get a first down, but it gets called back because of penalty, or you stop a drive and it gets called back because of penalty. I mean, those things, yeah. and the Saints have had a number of penalties in the first two weeks, too, which have been, those are mental mistakes yeah. that you can't afford to make in close games, and you've been in two close games. Those things, I mean, you know, like you said, it goes, there is a a total, there, everybody on this team at some level can accept some of this blame from last oh, week's yeah. loss. Oh, yeah, and if they don't accept it, then they're in denial because everybody have blame. Uh, but like you said, and the crazy thing about it is statistics out we used to always go over the statistics when it came to uh, if you get a penalty on a drive, that lowers your chance to score. I forgot what the percentage was, but it was a high percentage. If you get one penalty during the drive, it lowers your chance to scoring dramatically. You know, so for, like you were saying, so for us to get those penalties in crucial moments, that's what it's going to lower your percentage to score. And and these things are statistical. It's not just be kind of making it up. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball and – the pass rush has been something we've been concerned about. The Saints didn't get a ton of hits in week one. In two through two weeks now, they have one sack and four hits on the quarterback. That can't go. Not when you have Brady dropping back almost what 35, 36 times in the game, and you don't you don't hit him hardly at all. And then you don't, you, you know, that's what we talked about was going to be key is that pressure up the middle. And though Brady did not have a giant game. On the drives that they needed to, he had enough time to complete the passes he needed to complete. And they were able mm-hmm. to get enough runs that they needed to get. And, of course, those penalties that contributed to extending some of those drives, that the pressure is not there from that front four. Mm-hmm. And the Saints rely on that group, um, you know, plus the guys who rotate in. They're not getting there. Yeah. Uh, I kind of talked – I was talking to someone else about this as well. Uh, and they were saying about how – not, not getting a lot of sacks these first two weeks. I look at it a little differently when it comes to that. 
because I look at the first game and you got a quarterback like Mariota. He's a different type quarterback. He got he got uh, legs so he can get out of certain situations and you got to play him differently because of you got to collapse the, court, uh, the pocket because so he can't get out and run. Uh, so you just got to play it a little differently when you're going against guys like that. Uh, and then when you look at Brady, Brady is one of the smartest, probably the smartest quarterback that's out there. Uh, his pre-snap read is going to be great. He already know where he's going at with the ball, just off pre-snap read, unless the coverage starts to roll on him. Then he'll go to his next read, his post-snap read. Uh, so I think those two quarterbacks they played are so far different. One is in North, one is in the South. They're, they're so different from each other. But, it, but both differences poses different problems. They both pose different problems for you. So that's why I feel like, I mean, I'm not so down on the sacks. Of course, we got to get to the quarterback. We got to get pressure there. But those two quarterbacks are different type quarterbacks. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, the history with the Bucks had been the Saints had gotten pressure on Brady. That's when they were successful, obviously, during the four regular season games. And they had been mm-hmm. able to force turnovers. They didn't right. do that at all in this nope. game. And there weren't really opportunities. You didn't see uh, 50-50 balls. They didn't create those opportunities for for, uh, for the defense to have chances um, to, to mm-hmm. get a turnover. So that, I think, was more unusual. Like you said, it's not about just the number of sacks because you're not going to sack Tom Brady a ton. But the Saints have been right. averaging two interceptions uh, against him over the course of the previous four regular season games. And the pressures had been high. And I think that's part of it. It's just that they were not collapsing the middle, particularly going up against a backup left tackle, a backup center, and a backup Mm -hmm. right guard. So you've got three backups on the front, uh, on the offensive line, and you couldn't collapse the pocket at all, really. That's true. And and you got to take your hat off to the the Bucs. They had a good game plan going in, especially for those – three backups that was in there, trust me, that was that was a position of concern. I'm quite sure they try to address it uh, and they try to help those guys out much as possible. But that was a great coaching job by the offensive line, uh, offensive line coach. So I'm still – I still feel like we got a long ways to go because I really feel like we took a step back this week. But I feel good about this Panthers game, but I'm still nervous about it because the Panthers gives us a hard time every time we play them. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it, but I think we can get it. Yeah, because I think the, the thing that, that I worry about in the carryover is that it was clear that what Tampa Bay decided, and we talked about this last week before the game, was that they were going to try to slow this game down. The fewer plays, the better, in, as far as Tampa Bay was concerned. They didn't want a lot of plays. They didn't want a lot of drives. And Brady was content to use – he didn't want his drives to end. You could see how upset he was throughout the game. And I think – you know, we can get into the fight before we move to Carolina. But I think that, you know, the the the, the stance of the Bucks was, if we don't make a mistake, then hope then we, we you know we're counting on the Saints to make one. And the Saints ended up mm-hmm. making five critical mistakes. You know, you get the pick Beautiful. six. You have a fumble inside the red zone. Those types of things ah. take points off the board more than anything mm-hmm. else, and give points to the other team. Those are ten. 13 uh, you know, point swings in this ballgame. And so I think that, that, that Tampa did a better job of executing its game plan. It said, we're just going to be physical the whole mm-hmm. game. If we can keep it as a dogfight, then we win. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. We want a dogfight. They did not want to play that game in the 20s and 30s. They right. wanted it to be in the teens, and that's where they kept it. And, and I think that, you know, that ultimately that's what this game is about. You forced mistakes by your opponent, and you held on to what you wanted to do. 
And Tampa was able to do that. Now you got to go over to Carolina and try to change that. That's true. And and that's one thing that we have to really be careful of that when I say we, the Saints, that we don't get that MO that we are a soft team, that teams can come in and kind of bully us and want to play that type of game with us. Usually when you play, Shucks, I remember when I played, you had teams like the Ravens, Chicago Bears. You're not trying to play that type of physical game with those guys. You know what I'm saying? Because you knew what they brought to the table and being physical was what they did. The Steelers back in the day. You know, so, but for for teams that come into our house and want to play that type of game with us, uh, the fact the Falcons did it. The Falcons beat us up first half. They dominated us first half when it came to being physical. And then we have Tom Brady and them. They come in and come with the same game plan, you know, to slow it down and just grind it out. You know, that kind of shows you what teams think about our defense, regardless of the names that we have on our defense. They see what the the product we're putting out. Lastly, before we move on, I do want to talk about the fight um, real quickly, because to me, and I think that the the analysis has been very superficial of it. This was a Brady thing. Mm -hmm. This was a Brady thing. Brady (laughs) from the start of this game was, you know, typical Tom Brady stuff, John running his mouth. Yep. Now he wants to run his mouth after a play that was a clean play. No, no penalty is called. Everything's normal. But Brady's running his mouth at mm-hmm. the defense. And again, it's Leonard Fournette who pushes first. It's not the right. Saints who started that. It's Leonard Fournette who pushes first. And then it's Michael Thomas running off the sideline and coming in and getting involved in it. Mm-hmm. I don't see where the Saints were any had any wrong in this situation. What did the, the Saints do in this situation for them to – I mean, you know, obviously the league did not punish anybody on the Saints. Michael Thomas mm-hmm. mo- loses a game – I mean, uh, excuse me. Um, not Michael Thomas. Uh, uh, Mike Evans. Mike, Michael Evans. Evans loses a game out of this. But I just thought it was an, abs- uh, an absurd thing, and I also found it very odd that you're going to have your former coach on the sideline who's retired and he's running his mouth up and down the sideline as much as anybody else. That to me should be another fine right there. He's not on the staff. He's not. If a player does that and you're not in uniform, aren't players cited for those types of things? If you're, you know, you're not on the game day roster, you're just supposed to be on the sideline in your t-shirt and warmups and you out there making noise. That's a problem. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think, I think the bucks took this game personal. The Bucks know that they haven't beat us, you know, in a regular season in what two years? You know, they Longer knew that. that they had lost yeah. what, six in a row in the regular season. <laughs> Three years, you know. So they took this game personal. They took it personal, and when Tom Brady start jawing, that's when that's going to get everybody hyped. He's the leader of that team. He's the captain of the team. And when he start jawing, everybody's going to start jawing. Uh, I feel like, I feel like that part of it, it shouldn't got to that part. It should have just been they jaw with each other and then they walking away from each other jawing. It should never got to the point where Fournette actually pushed somebody because they're jawing. Because at the end of the day, nobody laid hands on Brady. Now, if somebody laid hands on him, now I can see the difference. If somebody lay hands on my quarterback, you know, everybody going to get involved with that. Uh, I couldn't imagine somebody laying hands on Drew Brees. Everybody's right. fighting. That's you know? your job. Exactly. You know, but nobody laid hands on Brady. It was just talking. So it should never got physical the way it did. But at the end of the day, Evans couldn't hold his composure. He came off the sideline and now he's suspended. So, that, I mean, that is what it is. I think Leonard should have got something too, though. He should have had. Because truthfully, he the one started it. Like you said, 
He's the one started it. He had no business. And again, and that's the thing too, is once a running back is involved with a DB, that's no wide receiver need to get into that. What you what right. you coming on the field as a wide receiver? <laughs> what are you doing? Right. That is not, that's nothing to do with you. Those are two equally sized combatants. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Ain't nobody picking on a small guy there. So <laughs> come on. Let, let, I thought that I thought just thought it was silly. Um, let's go on to the Panthers now. Saints one and one, Panthers 0-2. This is as close to a mirror game at this point in the season as you're gonna get. You know, Saints mm-hmm. 17th in offense, 17th in defense, Carolina ninth in, in um defense and 28th in offense as far as uh yardage. Both teams scoring right around 20 points a game. Both teams giving up right around 23. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is <laughs> this is about as close as it gets on paper. And I think, you know, Carolina does the same thing that they saw out of Atlanta and Tampa. They're gonna try to be physical. What has Carolina done in the first two games? They've run the football. They've yep. not passed it particularly well. I think they only mm-hmm. have a little bit over 300 total passing yards, only two passing Crazy. touchdowns. They've relied on the run, and I think that's what they're going to do against the Saints. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you rely on the run? Uh, but I think that this is truthfully, I think the pressure is definitely on both teams to get a win. And when I say both teams, I say the Saints because you don't want to go one and two in your division not just your record, but in your division. You don't want to go one and two in your division. And you uh, got so a that's home my, loss. Right. So doing that now puts pressure on you to get out of these, this three-game stretch, and you really want to go, what, two and one. That's that's the goal for them. But it's almost truthfully definitely a must-win for the Panthers. If they want to salvage their season, they got to come up with a win. You do not want to start out 0-3, even though it's early in the season. But I just don't see the Panthers roster being good enough to overcome a 0-3 uh, deficit, especially when they're not playing well, throwing the ball in the air. That's going to be tough to overcome that. And they're already talking about firing Matt Rule. I mean, that that's already hit the hot seat. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you can't start 0-3. They started really poorly last season. They started really poorly the season before that. You bring in Baker Mayfield to try to fix your quarterback situation. He hasn't looked great. He's looked very mediocre. What's the difference between Baker and who the quarterback they had? What was his name last year? I don't. I didn't see even when they traded for Baker or they got Baker to come there. I don't know if they traded for him or what it was. But even when they got Baker to come there, I'm thinking to myself, I don't see a. I didn't think that was an upgrade. Bringing Baker there, that wasn't an upgrade. It was just a different face, but it still wasn't an upgrade. I'm not saying Baker was worse than he was, but I don't see where Baker was just that much better that would really put the Panthers over the hump. I didn't see it, you know, and it's kind of showing now. Yeah, I mean, the things that you that Baker's been criticized for is that he's not a great leader. That right. was a big part of Cleveland. Um, so we haven't seen any great leadership out of him so far. He doesn't have the arm that Darnold has. So you mm-hmm. have these receivers with the Panthers that are really good in motion and running after the catch. But they can also go deep, too, uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with that group of guys – and I, I don't think Baker can hit them downfield. He's not. I don't think he's able to. That was the big problem with Odell. Odell said mm-hmm. he can't. He can't get me. I'm open and he can't get me. And, and 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 trust me, all those receivers on the Panthers roster is seeing that, seeing it. Uh, they see what their stats look like because these guys trying to get paid as well. At the end of the day, they trying to get. Stats. Of course, they want to win, but they also want to get paychecks. And if you don't have any stats, you ain't getting paid. You know, and, and the fact that you got Baker Mayfield there and you already know how uh, – what was the receiver name we just talked about? 
Odell, you already know what Odell was saying about him. And what La- Jarvis Landry said about him. Right. So now they just seeing exactly what they were saying. So they got to get on the roll or it's going to start going downhill quickly. Yeah, I I think it could get bad in Carolina real quick. And like you said, this, but that's that provides two desperate teams. Because if you're mm-hmm. the Saints, you have to be desperate this week. You have to play. Like you said, it's you hate to use the word must win in week three, but you, these are division games, as you said. And right. if you fall behind one and two in the division, even if two of those three on the back end are at home, you are in a bad situation because – yeah, you gotta you gotta go to Tampa the next time. You gotta mm-hmm. and care, who knows how much better Atlanta could be at the end of the season. They could be a better team at the end mm-hmm. of the season. Carolina could, you know, if, the way they're going, they could probably be out of it at that point. But again, <laughs> it's Carolina, and they could play a spoiler role. And guys, at the end of the year, look forward to that ruining your season if you got a chance of some. There's enough guys mm-hmm. who get motivated to knock off the division four and say you ain't going to the playoffs and getting that extra check either. True. So, I mean, you know, that that's just not a good position you want to be in. Like I said, it's almost like getting two losses when you lose because you lost at home last week and you lost to a division team. So those mm-hmm. are tiebreakers that are going to come back at the end of the year. Yeah, and and it, we if we don't turn it around, we, we're going to struggle as well, divisionally. Like I said, we still got outside division opponents that I feel like we would do well, but it's all about that division. Their goal is to win the division. That is the first goal. The first goal is win the division. You know, the second goal is to to win the conference. You know, and the third goal is to win the Super Bowl. Yep. But we got to take care of the first goal first. You got to win the division. Yeah. And if you if you start two and one, you put yourself in position to be to go two and one down the stretch because you figure in this division four and two is typically it's hard for a team to go undefeated in this division. It's a dang near impossible. Five and one is really hard. But if you get yourself a position to be four and two, then you're, you're in good shape. And, and I think that's why you have to be two and one after this stretch. The big thing for the Saints, obviously, for off, offenses, it revolves around Christian McCaffrey in Carolina. McCaffrey, so much like Alvin Kamara, able to do things out of the backfield and as a runner. But they have been very intentional about limiting his touches so far this season. That's the, that's the beauty of it. They're trying to limit his touches, but they're not getting the wins by limiting his touches. But if you if you add more touches to him, now you have the injury factor that's going to start because he's very injury prone. Uh, that's been his mo the entire time. His entire time in, in the NFL, his mo he's very limited uh, when it comes to the injury part of it. So it's a two, it's a double edged sword when it comes to him. Do you give him more carries? Because at the end of the day, Chuck's his first couple of years in the league, he was like almost the whole offense. Like 80%, 60, 70% of the offense was going through him. You know, but that's when the injuries started piling up. So I, it's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be tough to see what they do with him. If they're gonna give more carries or they're gonna continue to limit his carries. Uh but right now it's desperation time for for uh for Carolina. So I would I would definitely expect for him to get a ton of carries or a ton of touches, not just carries, but with screens as well. Uh, good news for the Saints on the injury front. Alvin Kamara participated in practice. Paulson Debo participated in practice. Some guys were limited, but clearly not the laundry list of injured players that we saw last week. Um, mm-hmm. You can see that Paulson Debo has been missed. That mm-hmm. That's pretty clear. And of course, we know what Alvin Kamara brings to the table. 
Um, But this is a team I think that now we're seeing that we know injuries are are a big part of any team in the NFL. But for the Saints, I think they are in one of those positions where injuries could really derail this season because while the talent is very high end, the depth at certain spots is not. And those, mm-hmm. those you can't afford any more offensive line injuries. You can't any for, uh, can't afford a lot of injuries in the backfield because you don't have dynamic playmakers necessarily there outside mm-hmm. of Kamara. So it seems like you know the Saints are going to be monitoring this all year long um, with mm-hmm. Alvin in particular and making sure that he's good to go because they've got to have him for fourteen games at least. Got to you, you, you got to have him for those games. Uh, like I say, you can't take your best player out. And, and not have them for these games, especially especially when your offense is already struggling. you got to have your best players on the field. Uh, and like Coach Parcells, she's always telling us, you can't help the club in the tub. So we got to have make sure we're not injured. Uh, and honestly, when we came into the season, I felt like we had depth. Now, now I, don't, I don't know necessarily we was talking about offensive line. Right. But, that was the area we were really concerned about on that right. offensive line. <laughs> right. Offensive line and running backs because mm-hmm. that shows, we didn't know if Alvin was even going to play early in the season because right. of the off-the-field issue. You know, so we had issues there as well. Uh, so we just got to figure it out, man. We got to figure it out because it's going to get real, real quick if we drop this one. So we got to figure it out. And this is the test for Dennis Allen because this is the new – you're the new coach. Now you're facing this adversity, the first real adversity of your administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, outside the building, people comparing it and saying, what would SP do in this situation? What would would he be doing at practice this week? What what adjustments would he be making? And that Mm -hmm. stuff creeps into the building, and I think it's natural for even if the players, because you're already comparing things. That's just human nature. Well, last Mm -hmm. last year we wouldn't have done this. And I think, you know, results are ultimately your best advertisement. If Mm -hmm. what he does can hold together, and I think the thing for him is he's – you saw it. He talked about this. He's much more intense during the practice week and more chill on game day, whereas Sean was more chill during practice week and intense mm-hmm. on game day. I think that that's actually a good thing for this team because the last thing when you have a confidence issue, and I think offensively they have some confidence issues, mm-hmm. is a coach who goes overboard, maybe emotionally, when you're trying to get yourself together. If you're Man. dealing with that during the practice process, of, look, we're not making mistakes in practice because that Kessler carries over the game. I think for this team, that works. Sean and Drew's relationship, I think, yeah, if something goes on during a game, you can go and get in Drew's face and yell at him because Drew, they're at that level. They were at a level where they could do that on a week-to-week basis. I don't think it started mm-hmm. like that. But you get to that point where you're on the same page every week with your quarterback and they have the relationship over 15, 16 years that they developed. That's much Mm -hmm. different than being in the early part with your new team and having to make sure that they stay confident in what you're doing, what your agenda is as coach. And you have this young quarterback that you're also trying to maintain his confidence and his Mm -hmm. hold on his on his offense. Man, you hit it right on the head of not being a a rah-rah coach during the game. I mean, of course you're going to say some stuff and, and you may uh, chew a couple of guys out, but not just being overall rah-rah. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was in Dallas, my first two years in Dallas, we had Bill Parcells, the head coach. You had Todd Haley as a receiver coach. You had Mo Carthorn as the running backs coach. 
Uh, and you had Sean Payton as offense coordinator, right? So that that uh, origin of coaches together, when I say it was crazy on the sidelines, like if you mess up, first of all, Coach Parcells going to say something to you walking by. Then after that, Mo Carthon going to say something to you walking by. Then after that, Todd Haley going to say anything to you. Like anything. He got a rep. <laughs> <laughs> he got a rep for saying some outlandish stuff on us uh, to his and players. It, and it don't matter what position you at. If you play, if you play offensive line and you out there messing up, guess what? Them coaches still gonna say something to you. It ain't just your coach. So you're gonna hear from everybody because all the coaches was rah-rah type coaches. And when things got bad, it seemed worse because when you come to that sideline, it's so hectic over there sometimes because of all the emotions that's going. So, but you hit it right on the head that it's great that uh, Coach Allen is more chill on game day and more rah-rah in practice. Yeah, I think the, the, for this team, it's going to be a matter of week-to-week adjustments, and you want them to be as relaxed as possible on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Because you do have a lot of veterans who, who once they get to game day, especially on your defense, you've got guys who have been in league for years and years. You got right. some guys who have been around. So I don't think they need that extra level of motivation. I think they do a good job amongst themselves. That defense mm-hmm. is very self-motivated. They understand. You don't have to tell Cam Jordan to ramp it up. You don't have to tell right. Demario Davis to ramp it up. You don't have to tell uh, Tyron Matthew to ramp it up. They're going to take care of that for you culturally. With your offense, you have a bit more sensitivity with guys. You mm-hmm. have some guys who have come from – look, Michael Thomas is building back his ego. Mm-hmm. For after two years of being gone, Jameis is trying yep. to build back his ego and say, I'm a legitimate starter in this league. You have a right. guy, Jarvis Landry, who's coming off a very disappointing year who wants to reestablish himself. You got a rookie mm-hmm. in Chris Olave who you can't be too rough on and lose him after he made a couple drops last week. You got to keep his mind into it. And like we talked about, you have this new offensive line and some guys like Cesar Ruiz and Andrews Pete who mentally need to be, you know, both strong. But you also can't rip them too hard because they're guys who are on the verge at any moment, it seems, of having a rough game. So I think that mentally the approach has to be different with this group because I think if you come down with a hammer on them offensively constantly, there's a difference between accountability and being rough. Mm-hmm. You know, I think with this group, if you're rough with them, I think it's more likely that they get too introspective because these mm-hmm. are guys who are going to look and say, what am I doing wrong? Not what can, how and I how can I get better? And that's a very mm-hmm. thin line for any athlete or person in any profession to cross. When you get to that point mentally where you're like, what am I doing wrong? Not mm-hmm. how can I be better? Your focus is, is completely messed up. Man, you know what? You might need to be a coach, man. <laughs> man you might need to be a coach. I'm telling you, because look, all coaches don't think like that. They think like, listen, we grown men, you getting paid. You better be able to take whatever we dish out. That's how, that's how usually it goes. You know, but but what you're saying you, is all facts, man. If you really think about it like that, I mean, you got to read people. It's different yeah. per person. You know, I, I yep. just think it's different per person. If I was talking to you know Walter Payton, I ain't got to tell Walter Payton to go work hard. Yeah. I don't have to tell him nothing. He's self motivated. But I may have to talk mm-hmm. to my backup. You know, I may have to talk to my other guys. Say, hey, man, come on, we need you to do this because we know it's just. I mean, guys, I think it, you know mentally get into different places, and it's not you can't treat everybody the same. I don't think right. and nothing works that way. Like like what, what Jimmy Johnson used to say, I treat everybody uh, the same. It just depends on who you are. You know, it's like, you know, guys, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna treat Troy the same way I treat this dude. I'm not gonna treat Michael Irvin the same way I treat number 53 on the on the roster. I can't, right. but I'm gonna treat Michael Irvin the same way every day. 
Yeah. I know what Mike needs. <laughs> you know, and that's the part. I think that a lot of coaches do forget that because they, they're more, I think it is about brand. Like I'm, this is my reputation as a coach, man. Your mm-hmm. reputation is based on how many games you win. That's right. <laughs> With some right. games, you ain't never got to worry about your rep. Never. Yeah. <laughs> but I think all in all, man, I think we definitely, I think we win this game. Um, I think we win it. I think we win it. It's. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I don't have a, I don't have, the Saints haven't given me any other reason not to think it's going to be a close game. Your first two games has been basically down to the wire, you know, down to the fourth quarter. So I don't, I don't expect anything different from this game right here. I don't expect anything different until I see different, you know, so I think this game will be another close game. Yeah. I think if, if you ask me, I'd say it's like 17, 13 Saints. Because I just don't – I'm not putting a lot on the offense right now. I don't – you know, mm-hmm. we just seen them kind of struggle. And I think this is going to be – can you put some drives together? Even if they aren't scoring drives, just no turnovers. That's what you want to see mm-hmm. first and foremost, limited penalties. And I think you want to see them, you know, limit those three-and-out drives. You can't have more than two, you know, over the course mm-hmm. of the game. You want to – especially early on. And I think that's the biggest thing for the Saints. We've not seen a good first quarter offensively yet. It was a good right. drive good in drive. the first quarter, but yep. let's see them finish a first quarter with a touchdown and a lead, you know, something like that. We haven't seen that yet. And so I think that's the first thing for me is I want to see them give me a solid first half of football mm-hmm. so that you're not putting that pressure on the final two quarters to win a ball game. And, and I'm going to go with 10-14 Saints. Uh, very low scoring because at the end of the day, the Panthers, the Panthers do have a pretty good defense. You know, they're not a bad defensive team. And that's what – that's who they hang their hat on, their defense. You know, so – and we right now be, – we've been struggling with the good defensive teams. So, I say 14-10, I think we give up uh, a field goal early or a touchdown early and a field goal late. But I think we we pull it out 14-10. Well, I'm, you know, like I said, it's a critical matchup. We'll see what happens. Um, and we'll be watching. And certainly next week when this is over, we'll be back to give you all all the analysis on that game and get you ready for week four. But right now, there's nothing bigger than this week. And that's how it is in the NFL. There's no bigger game than the one you got this in front of you. So, uh, TC, any other thoughts as we uh, head out uh, for this week? Not at all, man. Not at all. Just go Saints um, and and come back with a dub, man. You can't come back from Carolina with an L. You got to get this dub. This is very necessary in this one. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, former man Terrence Copper, I'm David Grubb, and this has been Believe in Saints, brought to you by Bet Online. Till next week, y'all enjoy the game. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.